Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome to a knockout round edition of Corner Kick. I'm Nathan Strauss, as always, joined by a man who is currently sipping Japan's number one green tea beverage, Caleb Rhodes. That's right. This episode is not brought to you by <laughs> Ito N, <laughs> Japan's number one green tea brand, which means tea, please. Enjoy the authentic taste of green tea produced by Ito N, Japan's premier green tea purveyor. Best served if chilled. Again, our DMs are very heavily open for any and all sponsored product reads. It really doesn't matter what the product is. Like, we are not picky. Actually, can I just say, when I posted on Instagram our last episode and said brought to you by Polar Seltzer, which, to be clear, was a joke. We are not sponsored by Polar Seltzer yet. I received, like, an automated message from Instagram saying, this looks like branded content. It's like, you need to, like, market as such. Um, and I said, unfortunately, no. And in fact, I am indeed drinking a polar seltzer right now. The black cherry variety, if you will. But we are also joined by a man whose favorite team in this tournament or whose favored team in this tournament is going to kick off in about an hour and 40 minutes. It is Nick Gavinden. Hello. Yes, the half Italian part of me is very, very excited to watch the boys play against Austria this afternoon. And let me just say that, like Nathan said, our emails and DMs are wide open for a variety of sponsorships. It truly doesn't matter what the product is. We could sponsor like a Renaissance fair for all I care. Yeah, I think that would be actually a pretty interesting one. But yeah, we mentioned Roman or Manscaped or uh, Audible. You know, we're, we're also, open to anything. If, also, if anyone is currently looking for a tenant for a three-bed, two-bathroom. <laughs> we could even, yeah, we could even do, like, personal, maybe give me, like, a newspaper. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 we right. could do, like, personal uh, statements or advertisements. Lost yeah. dogs, lost cats. But anyways, the group stages have concluded in Euro 2020, in Euro 2020s, as we've called it. And it means that we are now on to some of the most exciting international football that we get Every two years, it's knockout time in a major tournament. And we say, and when we say we're on to it, they have begun because we are currently watching Wales play Denmark at the Johan Cruyff Arena as we speak. So we will be, as we did with our last episode with Portugal and Germany, giving you real-time updates of that game. So, Indeed. Well, why don't we start with Wales-Denmark? And, you know, obviously it's 2-0 to Denmark right now in the 64th minute, 65th minute. Casper uh, Dolberg has already scored twice. Shades of 2018 at Ajax for Dolberg. Coming into this game, I'm curious as to how you guys thought this was going to go down. This corner of the bracket is incredibly weak compared to the other three quadrants. It's Wales and Denmark. The winner will play the Netherlands and the Czech Republic. And that's the game we can get onto next. But again, no real superpower in this in these four teams. And Wales and Denmark, I think... I thought this game was going to be pretty even actually going into it. I'm curious what you guys thought. Why don't we start with you, Nick? Obviously, you need to begin every discussion about Denmark by discussing, you know, the fact that it is, it's amazing that they're even still here. Uh, we, I think like we've mentioned uh, on our last couple episodes, it's impossible to truly know the extent of 
you know, the trauma or feelings that these players and their coaching staff were feeling, you know, following what happened at the beginning of this tournament involving Christian Eriksen. So the fact that they're here in the knockout rounds, having lost twice in the tournament and qualifying and putting up, I think what is right now as it stands, a statement performance over a Wales team that I think people pegged as a, a contender to, you know, do a repeat of, what they did in 2016 and make it to the quarterfinals of the semifinal stage uh, as an upset contender is just absolutely incredible. I think, I think like Caleb and I sort of discussed on our pre-Euro show, talking about you know teams that we thought people needed to watch, this team definitely has some really underrated talent that could propel them, I think, beyond the Netherlands and into the semifinals. Mikkel Damsgaard, the 20-year-old winger who's sort of been playing uh, as a withdrawn member of their front three. He's been absolutely electric in the previous three games, an assist already in this game, and a goal to send them through to this game uh, against Wales. And I think he's going to be a pivotal, pivotal piece going forward, just a shot of electricity in the arm. And I think overall, you look at their midfield, you look at the likes of Hoybeer and Delaney, who I think have really, really turned it on in this tournament in the past few games, as well as you think about like the players who are Andreas Christensen scored one of the goals of the tournament from 30 yards out in their final game in the group stage against Russia. These guys are confident. They're emotional. It is running high. There is such a beautiful harmony between themselves, supporters, and I think the neutral fan as well. I'm very, very confident that this Denmark team can do amazing things and be one of the stories of the soccer world come the end of this year just looking at where they finished in their group i mean they made it into the knockout rounds with only three points heading into the last round of the group stage they were in last place in their group and it's purely by virtue of that offensive outpouring against russia that sent them through and i think this team is really going from you know tragedy to whatever the opposite of tragedy is. I wish I had something more poetic to say, but they're definitely trending up. And I think that they've they've turned the horror of those first few moments of their tournament into a rallying point. And, and based off of, as you said, this performance that they're putting on against Wales right now, which, you know, they edge closer and closer to victory. I think that they could definitely give, you know, either the Netherlands or Czech Republic a pretty tough matchup in the next round. As much as you know, Wales have had success in the last decade or at least in the last the last tournament in the knockout rounds. I was not very encouraged by what I saw from them in the group stage. Um, you know, they made it out in third in a fairly easy group, I would say. Um, you know, they lost one nil to, to a rotated Italy team. They beat Turkey, who were really the whipping boys of this tournament. And they, they drew Switzerland in the opening match. So I didn't really think that they would be able to come through barring a sort of miraculous finals performance from Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey. And that just has not materialized throughout 70 minutes uh, this evening. So it'll certainly be a challenge, you know, going up against the Dutch in their home stadium, um, I believe is where that next game would take place. Or the Czech Republic. Oh, actually. Oh yeah. The Dutch or the Czech Republic. It's actually going to take place in Baku. So never mind. Throw that statement out the window. So throw that statement out the window. Oops. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but why don't we move on to discuss that? Wait, wait. I have I have one one quick more point about Wales. Do we think Gareth Bale has like dramatically underperformed 
at this tournament after the way he talked about his preparations leading up to it. I think you look at Gareth Bale and you can say that I, I thought, so I watched the, I'm currently watching this game, but I'm obviously recording a podcast with you guys. So I'm not fully invested, but in the, I, I did watch the first half in full and Gareth Bale did have a very, very bright opening 15 minutes where I thought, Oh crap, this is going to be like the Gareth Bale game. And he's going to score like one of his trademark uh, shots from outside of the box. But he got into great positions in the opening 15 minutes in between uh, Hoiberg and the center backs. And then I think Denmark just sort of snuffed him out. And positionally, he's been playing far wider. It's so tough because Aaron Ramsey's had such a difficult season with Juventus, not particularly in amazing form. Gareth Bale, I think, you know, he was in kind of low-key good form for Tottenham, obviously being, you know, the goals per minute leader in the Premier yeah. League. But for Wales, he only has two goals in 14 appearances. I mean, that, like, for Gareth Bale, like, that is not a great return on the international level. And I think you can right. say that he has underperformed somewhat for this Welsh team. Yeah, and it sort of just depends, really, on on how you rate him in general. Um, like, I don't think he's overperformed or underperformed. He has two assists this tournament. He's only completed two dribbles um, and only only about 44 passes completed, but... There's only so much he can do on a Wales team that is very defensive um, without a, a high quality striker in front of him. So, um, you know, as much as Kiefer Moore, you know, might be good in the championship, which I don't even know if he is or not, believe it or not. Oh, he did score. He did score 20 goals in the championship for Cardiff. So he's all right. Um, but I yeah, I mean, I feel a little bad for him. Uh, Wales are just not really. Yeah, they're they're just not really built to compete against the bigger names of this tournament, and so uh, Bale's got some interesting choices to make. You know, does he go to MLS? Does he just retire? Um, you know, there are some. No, I'm serious. It's, it's no, one of the yeah. things that it's been on. It's been an option for him. Um, you know, he could go and become a pro am golfer. Like I'm not. I'm not even joking. That would so. be kind of. That's kind of what I want him to do. Honestly, just you just want him to become a golfer. Yeah. Why not? Because <laughs> like I mean, yeah, he could also go to MLS, but obviously not to Inter Miami, who. Have already been sanctioned a couple of times well, for um he could yeah. go. I mean, and I get like the golf thing is a meme, and we'll we'll get off this because I think we're spent too much time in this game. Yeah, the golf thing is like a meme, right? But like that's something that the guy genuinely enjoys doing. Clearly, like th- there's something that he has lost in soccer, like something about like the affection of the ge- his affection for the game. You know, maybe it's yeah. wrong for me to say it, but I don't think it's like fully there as it used to be. So maybe like do it, do what you love to do, like go to a place where you like go do something in a place where you like truly enjoy. If it like move to MLS and like play, like get involved with like the PGA, do like celebrity tournaments with them, do like some sort of like Tom Brady the match deal. It's like Gareth Bale or whatever the European equivalent equivalent, like Gareth Bale and Milner versus like Rory McIlroy and John Rahm. I don't know, <laughs> but like like do I I just want this guy to like do something that he loves to do and like. People can talk shit. He's one of the greatest players that European football has ever seen, at least ability-wise. And that's my personal opinion. You can take whatever you want. And I just want the guy to be happy. So, yeah, regardless of however Wales do this tournament, I don't think you can levy any criticisms on Gareth Bale. Let's move on to the next game in this lower quadrant of the bracket. It's the Dutch against the Czech Republic. And as much as we maligned the Netherlands in the pre-Euros show, they exceeded expectations uh, going unbeated, only allowing two goals and scoring eight in Group C. They come up against the third-place team from Group D in the Czech Republic. Are we wrong to think that the Dutch are going to be heavy favorites to go through here? No, I think 
the Netherlands will probably roll over the Czech Republic, who even in, you know, the worst form Netherlands would, I think, brush aside quite, quite easily. I'm not sure there's a lot of drama or tension in this particular matchup. Really? Nick, do you feel the same way? I think the Czech Republic have played pretty well at this tournament, to be totally honest. I think against England, they could have easily had a draw. Uh, that Suchek chance, I think, is one that comes to mind where that, that's probably one that you should have buried um, in the inside of the box. I do think the Netherlands go through here. I think they just have way more quality all over the place. And I think the thing that has been impressive is just how their midfielders are able to get up and down the pitch so effectively and how I think Genie Wijnaldum, I think everyone sort of knew this, but it's been fun to see it put into practice on the biggest stage, how Genie Wijnaldum is really a transformative player for this whale, or this for whales. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would be. He would be. A he midfield be. of Ramsey and, and Wijnaldum would be pretty good. And Wijnaldum sounds just jumbled enough to be a Welsh name. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think... I think Wijnaldum getting amongst the goals, being very much, you know, sort of his throwback persona a la Newcastle when he was very much a center attacking midfielder. Uh, three goals already in this tournament for him. And I think De Jong, the handbrake off in this Netherlands team because they need him to be that all-around dynamic player has just been incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nathan, you mentioned that you're not a huge fan of Wout Weghorst uh, as sort of that secondary striker along with Depay. I think in a game against the Czech Republic, who are a very stout physical team. You know, defenders like Kufal obviously will have to contend with Suchek. Um, you know, a lot of the players who you know very well from that game against Slavia Prague uh, that Arsenal played. So I think having a guy like that who can deal with some of the physicality and kind of ping balls over to Depay to have an impact is going to be really effective. So I do think the Netherlands get through. And I think maybe, I don't think we owe Frank De Boer an apology yet because the Netherlands have not faced amazing opposition, but you know, perhaps we will later on in this tournament. Yeah, so I think it's it's fair to say that we can all agree that the Netherlands should go through. Whether it's Malin up top or Weghorst, I still think they progress. And uh, especially with Delict back in the lineup after his injury uh, coming into the tournament, this Netherlands team looks like they did um, under Komen in the uh, qualifying campaign. Do we want to jump to the next section of this bracket, which features Sweden and Ukraine? And England and Germany. Why don't we start? Why don't we start with a, a matchup of two teams with very similar color palettes, but very different teams? Sweden versus Ukraine for the right to uh, advance to the quarterfinals. I think this one might be a very open and very fun game. I'm curious if you guys share that opinion. I think it's going to be very closed and very boring. I I do not care about this game, and I know we have to like kind of pretend to care about it because we have a podcast about soccer. But I have like zero vested interest in this match. This is going to be like, I'm going to take like a 90 minute. <laughs> like I don't. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> I genuinely, I genuinely wow. don't care. That's okay. I, I'm more of more of Nathan's vibe here. I actually think it's one of the, the, the <laughs> which is very rare. Normally I feel like on this podcast, Nick and I tend to disagree, but. I actually think this could be a rather compelling, compelling match because each team as a whole is not excellent, but have a few interesting pieces. I think Isak has been amazing. Great. He's been great. This whole tournament. Um, he probably should have like, the goal of the tournament. 
where he dribbled the entire I forget who yeah. it was against. I think it was Poland. He dribbled like the entire Polish team and almost found the back of the net, but it was a great save from uh, Szczesny. Yeah, so I don't know. I think there's a few compelling players to watch on the Swedish team, Isak being one of them. Um, and then the Ukrainian team had like a decent showing in in Group C. I know they had two losses, but they were able to score like four goals. I think they do have a few interesting pieces. I think Zinchenko as a midfielder and leader continues to kind of be somewhat interesting to watch because he might this year finally perhaps nail down that left back spot permanently at City, which would be huge. So I don't know. I agree they're not the two highest powered teams, and I don't think either team's going to go that far in the tournament, although they're in a part of the bracket that's easier. But I don't know. I think there's there are interesting storylines here. I don't think it's worth, as you said, just 90 minutes on the toilet. Um, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. To be diplomatic, what I will say is that I think the two players that have performed really well at this tournament that have kind of gone under the radar are uh, Kulishevsky and Forsberg. I think Forsberg, you know, obviously more so since he's been scoring goals for the Sweden team. And I think if those two can link up again and provide some sort of support for Isak, I think they can be really, really effective. I think like in the World Cup in 2018, the defensive solidity of this 4-4-2 that Sweden roll out is really impressive. And they do it with some like unheralded players too. Like Danielson at the back is a player who made his international debut, I think over the age of 30, and he plays in the Chinese Super League with Dalian. I don't even want, I don't even think unheralded talent is just like some really out there players playing in some really out there leagues who are coming in and doing a job for the Sweden team. So not to give yeah. them the, the, the credit that they deserve, but I think you're right, Caleb. Yarmolenko obviously is one of the goals of the tournament. So there's definitely firepower on both sides of the ball here. I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not, I'm not feeling this battle. I think Sweden, I think Sweden's going to go through actually and win. Um, but yeah, I think that this is two teams that actually are going to be open to attacking. And I think I've been, very impressed with Sweden's prowess going forward this tournament. I was not expecting much from them. And, you know, they wound up going through unbeaten. They drew with Spain to open the tournament and then beat Slovakia and Poland to, I mean, I thought they were going to finish in last place in this group. Actually, I thought Poland was going to finish either first or second. So they've been overperforming by my, uh, by my mark so far. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing this game, believe it or not. But I think maybe we've just been, you know, underestimating them needlessly. And I know before the tournament, I was one knocking them because I was like, I don't know how they do it without Zlatan. But as you mentioned, like, Isak was one of the top scorers in the Liga this past year. Forsberg has been, I think, one of the better attacking midfielders in the Bundesliga for a while and plays for a top team there in Leipzig. And then, of course, Kusilevsky, Kulisevsky, however you say it, you know, plays for Juventus now. So these... These are players that, and then obviously, you, have, you know, Danielson's a different story, but the Swedish attacker players play for top teams in Europe and are top players on those teams. So I think perhaps it was just, you know, a bias on our part that, you know, like we don't expect Sweden to be good um, that, that has led us to this. So I don't know, but I agree. I think Sweden's going to go through, but I think it could be a, a rather fun game for a knockout round game like 3-2 or something like that, especially based off of, you know, Ukraine's performance against the Netherlands in the group stage, which was pretty open as well. I agree. And the teams will be battling for a spot in the quarterfinals against 
Germany or England. This game is going to be a rematch of the famous game in the 2010 World Cup, actually 11 years ago tomorrow, when Frank Lampard had a goal incorrectly ruled out um, that would certainly have stood today in the era of Hawkeye and goal line technology. Uh, England won that, excuse me, Germany won that game four to one, um, courtesy of goals from Miroslav Klose, Lucas Podolski, and two goals from Thomas Müller. Only one of those players remains, obviously, in this Germany squad, which is actually pretty impressive when you think about how long 11 years is. But this is certainly one of, if not and the... Hold on. And hold on, it is also a rematch of the Euro 96 semifinal that took place at the old Wembley Stadium, which ended in a 1-1 draw between England and Germany, on which Germany won 6-5 to five on penalties, and you know who missed the final penalty for England? No. No. Who was it? Gareth Southgate. No. Ooh, I like yep. that. I think this just goes to show you that even though Gareth Southgate has been very mild-mannered throughout this tournament, there's going to be part of him that desperately wants to win this game. I mean, I think he was going to desperately want to win this game regardless, but it is a it is a rivalry. But that added um, wrinkle, how, how amazing is that added wrinkle, though? I had no idea. I had no idea. So... England, Germany, I think it's probably safe to say that this is the marquee matchup of the uh, of this round of play. One of the favorites for this tournament is going to go home empty-handed. And man, I think if England can win this game, their path to the final is incredibly easy relative to the other half of this bracket that we'll get onto in a few minutes. Yeah. But Germany are Germany, and they do have a way of winning games even when it's not pretty. Uh, I was going to say, so Nathan, where do you come down? Where do you think this game ends up? Oh, I think Germany wins 3-1. Okay. Nick? It's coming home to the quarterfinals. It's definitely not coming home. It's definitely not coming home. It's coming home to the quarterfinals, is what I said, Nathan. Because, and we're going to have our corner kick composer, Will Hotel, on in the build-up to this game. But I think England are going to win here at Wembley against Germany. Is there any logic or reason to back this up, or just, uh, or is it just? A I was going to let Caleb give his. I was going to. I was going to let. No, I was going to let Caleb. Okay. Okay. Discuss. Okay. Yeah. Um, I I think this is actually like pretty tough to figure out. So Germany obviously were in the group of death, finished second, had you know a set of of mixed results. I think it's safe to say, including a pretty dramatic final day with that draw against Hungary. And we can talk about Group F and all the nutso switching around that was happening in, in game week three. I think Germany just have the ability to put the ball in the back of the net way more consistently than England do, who somehow finished top of their group with two goals in three games. And I understand that England also didn't concede a goal in the group stage, which is huge, especially now that Maguire's back as well. But I still don't think Southgate has any clue on how to play this team. And we can talk about, you know, some of the lineup changes he made in the last game week, which I think helped the team out a bunch. I think Bukayo Saka was, you know, a revelation you might say, on that right wing. I think Jack Grealish um, offered something a little more than Mason Mount. But when you look at the statistics, England still only produced five shots against the Czech Republic. I mean, I guess it comes down to whether you think that this is going to be a battle of, of offenses or defenses. 
Um, and I guess normally in knockout football, it tends to be defenses. But I don't think this England team still really knows like what it is. And I think Southgate continues to especially cause in the players' minds some confusion on that front as well. So I tend to lean towards Germany just because I think they seem to have at least a slightly better sense of like what the hell they're trying to do on the field. I think England do have a sense of what they're trying to do on the field, and that's manage games. And the question is going to be, because Caleb, not only have they not conceded a goal, they've not conceded a single big chance at this tournament, which is incredible given the fact that you know Harry Maguire was missing over the first two matches and they were playing Tyron Mings, who I think was a question in the back four coming into this tournament. Yeah, they rotated out the fullbacks. And so it's not been a consistent, you know, four players at the back at this tournament. And they've still managed to not concede a single big chance yet, which is really impressive. And I think Hungary actually showed what the game plan should be in order to contain this German 3-4-3. I think they did a really great job of pinning Leroy Zane and Robin Gosens really far out, almost at the touchlines, just not allowing them to get involved into the play in the middle of the field didn't allow Gozens to cut in certainly didn't allow Zane to cut in I think they definitely have to replicate some of what Hungary did in Munich but however I think Caleb if they stick with this 4-2-3-1 if they allow Jack Grealish that little bit of freedom I think there was no one who took more touches inside the penalty box in that game against the Czech Republic than uh, Jack Grealish and like you said, I think Saka, an absolute... This was sort of like... I know he's probably been Arsenal's player of the season, but I think this was the game where everyone, all of Europe, got to really see how talented and driven this guy is and how gifted he is as a player. And it's a kind of a cliche to say this, but he's like so fearless as well. And I think this is a game that is tailor-made for someone of the character and intelligence of Bukayo Saka on the wing to just see if they can get in behind what is kind of an aging uh, German defensive midfield and and center back trio. I know Rudiger isn't exactly old, but certainly, you know, Hummels. I think the question is, do they draft in, do they draft in Zula for this game? Cause he's like a little bit younger, a little bit faster. I I think think they they have to. Yeah, I think you'd absolutely also have to. Denmark have just scored again, and Harry Wilson was just sent off. Really great showing for Liverpool. He looks very confused by the sending off. <gasps> it's Milo. Let's go. He's in my fantasy team. Really? He just dropped yep. Ben Davies. Also, <laughs> well, Nick is well on his way to internet fame with his fantasy team for the Euros. But I guess if we can't come to a consensus, we may as well just. Wait and see with eager eyes for well, I want to get you guys' take on I want to get your guys' take on this question. Do you think this is the game where Harry Kane finally arrives at the Euros? No, I think he's tired and I think England are gonna go home. I think a lot rests on that question though, because we've been waiting for like a Harry Kane eruption. Um, but I, I, I think it's gonna remain dormant because nothing about the England system through the entire group stage, even with changing the players around has allowed Harry Kane to get on the ball the way he wants to and given him chances in the box. And so I'd be shocked if that dramatically changed against superior opposition in in Germany. I think I think this is the hardest to predict game. But should we move to the other half? Yes. The... This is where the fun begins, yep, as, yep, uh, yep. as some would say, some being 
Anakin Skywalker. Uh, let's start off in the right upper right hand corner. Croatia versus Spain in a game which will feature a number of teammates at the club level. This is going to be really fun. And I think it's going to be very stressful for you, Caleb. I, I think Spain are going to go through, but I do not think they're going to make it easy. Um, I'm curious as to let's start with you, Caleb, because I know you are the resident Spain expert here. So I think that Spain are actually going to go through relatively easily. And I think, mm. you know, through the first few games of in the first two rounds, they definitely dramatically underperform. There were massive questions. They became the first team to miss like five penalties in a row. Spain has some problems. Alvaro Morata is now receiving like abuse online because he's just being bad at soccer. Um, His family is receiving like abuse in the stadium, which is horrible. No, no, the the abu- the abuse is bad. Obviously, we we do not. And it's not just him; it's that. like his family in the stadium. Yeah, no, no, yeah. It's all awful. of that it's is just, totally don't inappropriate. Do, just don't do that. Yeah, you know, like I don't know. We could, that's that's a whole rant for another time. But just like, don't, yeah, don't that's a whole that. another thing about you know the relationship between fans and players, and you know all that stuff. And obviously, totally inappropriate to abuse a player right from the field. You know, we've seen other cases like that in world soccer that are more extreme, like that guy, I think Colombian player who missed a goal or something. He scored an own goal and then got got assassinated. Yeah. Yeah. So like all these things are bad. Underlying it though, is there is truth to the fact that Murata looks like a player totally bereft of confidence who has just been a bit of like a he represents and contains all of the like mental issues that this Spain team had, but they really broke free in that game against Slovakia. And I think there was that pre-match pressure presser, sorry, um, with Luis Enrique, where they asked him, you know, like, Oh, are you going to change the system? Like, are you going to change the midfield, et cetera, et cetera. And he talks about how, you know, he thinks that this team just needs like one goal or one moment to start, unleashing them and i think that happened against slovakia (laughs) that really strange martin dubrovka error that then just allowed spain to just pile on the goals and i think this team has so so much quality and so many options um that i think they are going to sort of carry this high into the next round against croatia who seem to not quite have the magic um that they had in the world cup um and so i think in terms of just pure trend lines Spain seemed to be trending up pretty dramatically. Croatia seemed to be stalling slightly. I, I, I'm pretty high on Spain right now, especially if they drop Murata from the lineup. Meanwhile, Moreno is a forward. Meanwhile, Martin Braithwaite has just. Meanwhile, Martin Braithwaite has just scored for Denmark to make it four 0 Oh, the goat! The goat himself. Oh, the goat, Martin Braithwaite. But anyways, Nick, continue. I don't think Murata's going anywhere. I think. There's that, you know, kind of infamous quote now from Lucha Enrique earlier in the tournament where he said, we're going to start Alvaro Morata and 10 other players. And you look at like when Morata did score his goal against um, Poland, he ran right over to Lucho and gave him like a massive hug. So I think there is like that kind of relationship. Lucho does trust Morata to do the job, to lead the line up front, to make those clever runs. And I think off the ball, whatever Morata has done has actually been very good. He's been getting into really good spaces. He's been capitalizing on some of his you know, more clever positioning. The finishing just isn't there. 
And I think it was all exemplified by that horrible penalty that they took against Slovakia at the beginning of the game. He is, I think, as you rightly said, Caleb, just totally bereft of confidence. And I think he just needs, he just needs like one of his shots to just go in, like take some sort of deflection and just go in. And he scores a goal like on his own accord because he already like has a goal at this tournament. It didn't really feel like it was fully his. It was like a Gerard Moreno ricochet that kind of landed at his feet. I think he just needs one of his own chances to go in and he'll be he'll be rolling. Uh, I do think Spain go through here. Unfortunately for Croatia, you know, their hopes of Luka Modric taking over this game and uh, putting on like a, a, a transcendent performance, I think are very limited because we already just saw that. Luka Modric went into Hampton in Scotland and absolutely taught the Scottish team a lesson in quality. It was sort of like <laughs> it was sort of like Thanos just like bowling through the Avengers at the end of uh, Avengers Infinity War, uh, capped off by a majestic outside of the boot, outside of the boot goal. And I think it's one of those. You know how like Iniesta gets clapped whenever he goes to the Bernabeu. Yeah, I think that is that is, is that like the Modric in Scotland's performance. I think that is like the equivalent of the Iniesta getting clapped at the Bernabeu. I think whenever Modric goes back to Scotland the Scottish people are going to like bow to their conqueror sort of deal. Cause it was just that good of a performance. Um, but I don't think they're going to get that from him in this game. I think Spain are going to be incredibly improved. I think they look way better with Pablo Sarabia uh, up alongside uh, Marata in that front three. I think they look way more assured with the more traditional right back and Azpilicueta. Probably you know, the question is whether or not we see Yolente Marcus Llorente slot into a more traditional position in midfield, whether you start someone like Thiago to have that little more assuredness and experience uh, in that midfield trio. But I do think Spain are have the ability to really turn it on. And I think now is the time, as uh, Lucio said, to uh, un- unleash the cava that has been laying dormant uh, in Seville these past three games. I like, I like the, uh, the cava metaphor there. Um... But yeah, I, I think Spain go through um, and it's a difficult, a tricky side of the bracket for them to be in. It does set up a, pot- a potential marquee matchup between Spain and France. Let's move on to France versus Switzerland. And yeah, we don't even, we don't, I don't think we need to spend too much time on this game. France is just going to absolutely roll Switzerland. Um, and uh, that's just going to be that. In- unless anyone here disagrees. I mean, no. we have to consider the fact that Dembélé is injured and has left the squad. Yeah, that sucks, and it's brutal for him, especially he's when he's signing. He's in tough contract negotiations with Barcelona. Yeah, no, he's. It's really, it's really the worst possible thing that could have happened to him. Um, but sorry, continue. And he was a game changer for them against uh, Hungary, in my opinion. I think. No, I think he was supposed and- to be their guy off the bench. He was supposed to be like the sixth man of this France team. And now it's going to be some combo of Lamar and Komen. The French team are like a little banged up at the moment, like kind of at the back too. Like Pavard, I don't think is all the way there following that collision um, in the Germany game. Uh, Dina came on and then had to come right back off because he got injured. Uh, There's questions about the fitness of Lucas Hernandez. Obviously Dembele, uh, Mbappe had an injury coming into the tournament. So I think there's like there's some questions about the, dur- the durability of the French team. Uh, I think the guy now coming off the bench is going to be Kingsley Coman. 
and you know he's a serial winner so I, I think you can trust him coming off the bench to be some sort of differential factor the question is going to be like whether or not this game against Switzerland is going to be kind of like a statement performance for the French because mm. I think they absolutely need that to get people kind of back on side I don't think we've seen the full potential of this French team yet I don't think they've gotten out of first or second gear quite yet I do think it's really promising that Benzema got on the score sheet twice against Portugal. I think that's huge. At Paul the same Pogba time. Been, at, yeah, exactly the same time. Mirror image um, on the clock, both in like the 46th minute or something like that. Um, it was like 46-44 in stoppage time yeah. of the first half and then the beginning of the second half. I do think Paul Pogba, when it's all said and done, is going to end up being the player of the tournament. This guy has been, to borrow a word from Ray Hudson, uh, has been like a, a, he's like a Stradivarius range of passing. Absolutely out of this world, bananas play on the ball, technical ability. Some of the leathered through balls just have like stardust coming off of them. It's been phenomenal. He's been, I mean, just keep your eyes glued on Pogba at all times when he's in a French shirt. And I think this has to be the game. Like Switzerland, you know, they're a talented team. Shakiri played an incredible game in that final group stage match against Turkey. I think they have a lot of quality, as Nathan has pointed out in this show. But this is going to need to be a true statement performance to get everyone back on side. Because I think even the French media now, you can kind of tell her a little, mm, like what's 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 really going on here with this team. They haven't quite performed expectations yet. But I think this is the time if, you know, for Benzema, Mbappe, Griezmann, Pogba, uh, to really shine, really put on that statement performance and, and schlack Switzerland, their neighbors. Yes, the winner the winner gets Alsace-Lorraine for good. Um, Pogba is the best example currently of players who are just on another level when they play for their international teams, or for their national teams, rather. I think Gareth Bale is a good example of that, but I think it also extends to just his performances in, in finals as well. But Pogba is just a whole um, a, a whole step above and he's really showcased his talents quite well. And I, for one, I think would enjoy a Spain-France matchup in the next round if those two teams were to win. But now let's move on to the last quadrant of the bracket. And why don't we start with the game that's going to kick off in just about an hour. The lineups have just come out for Italy against Austria. And I think this is going to be the biggest test that Italy have faced so far this tournament. But... I do think they are going to go through and continue to uh, live up to the hype that Nick you uh, you brought you brought them up to be. I don't think there's much more I could say about this Italy team. I think I'm just going <laughs> to let you guys discuss this game, and I really hope that Italy win by a large margin because I have four Italian players in my fantasy team. <laughs> Clearly, the <laughs> real ideally, metric of Nick's predictions. <laughs> and ideally, I would like them all to do well. So that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Also, just the, the chemistry of this Italian team is so far above any other team in this tournament. Like, we have to give massive credit. I forget if we talked about this on our last pod. Um, kind of, yeah. But, yeah, but, like, Mancini making sure every player in the squad got a minute in the group stage, including, you know, the backup keeper in Sirigu. So, I, I don't know. There, I think there is a unity and quality to this team that right now is, like, unmatched in the tournament field. But uh, let's move on to the last match, another of the marquee fixtures, probably the second marquee matchup in this round of 16. 
Belgium and Portugal. And again, one of the favorites for this tournament is going to go home empty handed uh, in this round of 16. Belgium are, I think, really in fine form. They've won four in a row. They cruise through the group stage, um, winning three, three nil against Russia, two one against Denmark in a game which they had to really struggle a little bit. And then they beat Finland 2-0. Portugal, on the other hand, were obviously in that group of death. Some mixed results for them. They beat Hungary 3-0. Got, well, I'm not going to say got destroyed. They lost 4-2 to Germany in a game which was very open and entertaining. And then drew with France 2-2 on the last match day. I think Belgium has an edge in this one. And I think Belgium does end up taking it. But if Ronaldo can be Ronaldo, then... And, it, and depending on who Portugal starts in midfield, um, I think Portugal are in with a shout. I mean, I think this is where the results from the group of death can be like fairly instructive, where Ronaldo scored in every game, right? He had two against Hungary, one against Germany, and then I think two more against France. But even that only secured them a win over Hungary. And so you ask yourself, is this Belgium team better than Germany and also plays in like a, a relatively similar tactical formation? I would say yes. And is this Belgium team, you know, competitive with France? Yes. And therefore, by that argument, at least, they, they probably have the edge against Portugal and also a huge portion of Portugal's goals. And as a result, Ronaldo's goals have come from penalties. So I think if Belgium can just show defensive discipline and unleash the attacking talent that they have, I think Belgium should be able to clean up Portugal 3-1. I really don't see Portugal troubling Belgium that much, even if Ronaldo gets on the score sheet. I think another important point is that as Belgium have more time to sort of cook in this tournament, the more players like Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard get more and more fit and more and more match ready. And that's a worry if you're Portugal, because I think the thing that Portugal have kind of struggled with in this tournament is dynamism. Kind of the main culprit of that has been Bruno Fernandes, who has been utterly anonymous at these Euros. And I'm not just picking on him because he's a Manchester United player. I actually think Bruno is a very talented guy, but I just don't think he's, I don't think it really suits what Fernando Santos wants to do with this Portugal team, which is play, you know, a bit more conservative in midfield, start two defensive midfielders. Um, we'll see if Danilo is ready to play in this game after getting absolutely Superman punched into oblivion by Hugo Lloris uh, against France. You know, we hope he's okay. You know, he's able to play a part. But I think in order for Portugal to succeed, they have to, have to, have to start Renato Sanchez. Absolutely. This guy, and not, and not, not just Renato Sanchez. I would say they should also start João Paulinha in midfield as well. Mm, that's interesting. So you'd have Pauline, uh, Paulinha over Danilo? Yes. I think when he came on in the Portugal-France game, um, Portugal immediately looked a lot more dynamic. And I think every international mm. tournament for Portugal, they have produced one midfielder from the Portuguese league who has wound up earning a move to greener pastures elsewhere. It was João Matinho about, what, eight years ago. Um, but this tournament could be Paulinha. I know he only played 45 minutes but he's, you know, 25 years old. He's had a couple of years now for sporting. Just won and the league. He has just looked, yeah, just won the league. And I think he's really talented um, as a sort of more dynamic player than Danilo 
I think you provide something else going up against a three four three. But Nick, back to you with um, what you were saying about um, Sanchez as well. No, I mean I think that's a great observation, and I think having like two a little bit more two two a little bit more livelier players in him and Sanchez could be really crucial. But I think Sanchez, I mean, talk about like a redemption arc that is coming to kind of its apex right now. You know, winning the league with uh, Lille in Liga, and then now having you know an absolutely transformative tournament with Portugal and I think really being the piece in that team that is going to bring a lot of balance to everything he can be someone who has really improved off the ball really improved in his pressing really improved his defensive work but also his like range of passing is so good his energy his intensity you know the Portuguese team is like a little bit old and I think they need someone like Renato Sanchez to kind of bridge uh you know that sort of gap in between conservatism and dynamism and I think he can really do that for them no I agree I think bringing in Renato Sanchez for Fernandes in the lineup has made this Portuguese team a lot sturdier Um, because Fernandes because they weren't really playing with like a true cam he was kind of aimless there are too many ball carriers around and Sanchez is like a true box-to-box player um, and I think fits this team much more and also matches up you know, more favorably against a likely midfield two for Belgium of De Bruyne and Witzel or perhaps uh, Tielemans. So we shall see. But I don't think it changes a lot of the calculus, which suggests that Belgium are as well-oiled as they're, they're going to be. And Portugal are still in like a bit of flux and are slightly reliant on Ronaldo um, as they have been in the past. And also, I think it goes to show that sometimes the best players are not the best fits for high stakes international games. It's, we've mm. seen a lot that that the better mm. players who fit a system better will actually produce more. And you can always have the option of bringing on a player like Fernandes as a sub, you know, for some late quality. Um, but it's more important to establish your system as a head coach than to defer to just, you know, maybe just raw talent alone. But nonetheless, it should be a very fun couple of days of knockout soccer in this round of 16 before the quarterfinals get set to kick off on Thursday, excuse me, on Thursday, excuse me, Friday and Saturday before semis and the final in the following week. That just about wraps it up for well, this before we go, Nathan, of, oh. before we go, before we go, I think I just want to say or I want to ask now that we're in the knockouts and we've seen, you know, a little bit of this tournament and what teams have to offer. Who is your prediction now to win it all? Mine is still France. I I have not changed my opinion on them. Yeah, I also think I also think France because they still finished top of the group of death. And I think if they had been in an easier group, they would have scored more and they would have impressed more. And so I don't think we should take, you know, the fact that they didn't get three wins out of the group stage as like a knock against their quality. And I think the fact that they still top that group is is a better indicator even than a team like Italy who kind of coasted um, and dominated. Mm. So I, right now, I, I think it's still France. And unfortunately, <laughs> I don't think we'll really know how good this France team truly is until perhaps the semis. Because I still think France is is much better than Croatia or Spain. If I had to choose another team, though, it would be Belgium. Belgium. I think there's something I'm not a huge destiny person. I'm a very much like manifest destiny type of guy. But there's something about this Denmark team 
I think something, something somewhere is on their side. And I'm excited to see what happens for them going forward. All I'm saying is Christian Erickson was born in February 1992. And a few months later, Denmark won the European Championships. I don't know, man. I kind of like, I like what I'm seeing. That's all I'm going to say. I like what I'm seeing. Well, we will have more updates when we record next, likely between the round of 16 and the quarterfinals. But until next time, I've been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Ritz. I've been Nick Vinden. And we will see you all next time.